everybody. Welcome to episode 74 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mirkatani. I'm Andy Hamilton coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in downtown Waterloo, Iowa. Joined on the line, as always, by the track wrestling rankings guru, David Mirkatani. How are you today, David? I'm good, Andy. It's uh, it's nice to kind of get back to a normal schedule. I'm sure you feel the same way. It's been crazy. Yeah, it has. It uh, was weird. <laughs> I didn't cover a wrestling tournament this past weekend, and that was the first time in, oh, about, uh, boy, I think since like the second week of August, maybe. So uh, it's been a, a busy run and just a slight uh, reprieve here before uh, we got a uh, couple thousand wrestlers coming to the cedar valley this weekend for uh folk style nationals kicking off thursday inside the uni dome We've got that on track wrestling and then the world cup in iowa city the following weekend so uh just a short break before we're back into it it's gonna be a lot of fun here next couple weekends uh looking forward to that for sure absolutely well, David, uh, news never stops in the wrestling world, and we got a lot to get to this week. A uh, couple new head coaches in the Big Ten just announced uh, right before we came on the air to record here that uh, Sean Bourne met the new Michigan coach. Uh, Saturday came out, the news broke on Chris Bono to Wisconsin. Uh, so South Dakota State uh, still has a vacancy to fill. Will be interesting to see if there's any more movement in the coaching ranks here in the next few weeks. Also, a vacancy at Little Rock, that uh, the new program down in Arkansas. They're going to be uh, going full bore at it. Nine point nine scholarships, fully funded, uh, top um, facilities that uh, Greg Hatcher and company are are putting uh, in place down in Arkansas. So that's uh, something to keep an eye on. Uh, but also uh, lots of news going on, lots of movement in the wrestling world. Canaan Store to Michigan, Nate Carr to Iowa State. You want to get into transfer rules. we got news about uh, – talk a little bit about Yanni Diakamahalis winning an NCAA title on a torn ACL. Uh, where do you want to kick this thing off this week, David? Wherever you want. And Cleveland State's open too, right? Yep, That's another one as well. Out there. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Good, yeah. good call on that one. Wherever – you're the real journalist. You tell me where we should start, and I'll follow you. Hey, I'm just uh, I'm just driving the car at this point. Uh, you're riding shotgun. Tell me where to go. You're the co-pilot here. <laughs> Let's talk about Nate Carr going to Iowa State. I mean, that's a big move for them. Um, you know, it's it gives them credibility to <clears throat> excuse me, even more credibility to their RTC. Uh, you know. Nate's older than I am, so I really remember what a great wrestler he was. He was really sort of kryptonite to Kenny Monday, where he would always, you know, Kenny Monday would beat him a lot at the big, not a lot, but might beat him at the big eights, but then Nate was a three-time national champ. So, um, you know, it certainly helps his son is there, and I think they're putting together an all-star coaching staff there. They had a good in-state recruiting class this year. You could probably speak to that better than I can, but, I think, you know, we expect Iowa State to be a lot better than one guy qualifying and making the round of 12 this year. And I think we're expecting giant strides three or four years down the line, right? Well, yeah, they've got the seeds planted right now. David Carr is a huge, huge get for Iowa State. And uh, Joel Shapiro here, uh, West Des Moines Valley, 
a couple times state champ, uh, had a tremendous spring last year, spring and summer. Uh, really, his stock went through the roof last year, uh, ranked third in the country right now in the track wrestling rankings uh, at 182. So he's going to uh, probably be a lineup anchor towards the top of that lineup, uh, or I guess the bottom, depending on how you look at it, Which, whichever way you look, uh, the upper weights at least. Um you know, Austin Gomez stepping in uh, potentially at 133 pounds next year. You got to think uh, Ian Parker, um, you know, saw some some really good things from him this year, the, the win over Dean Heil. And then, uh, you know, injured his knee right around that same time and, and was never really the same the rest of the way. So so uh, will be uh, interesting to see what Iowa State gets from him going forward. But it, you're, you're right. I mean, they're not the days of Iowa State having one qualifier uh, that's that's not going to be commonplace going forward. Uh, Jared Dagan coming back and see a qualifier at uh, 149, round of 12 guy. Uh, so there there are pieces in place. They're going to have to continue to recruit uh, well, and they're going to need uh, to find a couple more guys like David Carr to to buy in and and put their their name on the dotted line to uh, elevate themselves into uh, into at least the the trophy and title discussion, but. Uh, they're they seem to be heading in the right direction for sure yeah and you know you kind of think about iowa state and then you think about kane and store because he was there and you know i think a lot of it that iowa state program those guys getting their guys there and that kind of is a good segue to the his to kane and store landing in michigan and then we could probably talk about their new coach after that but Florida, Michigan is a good get for them. I mean, Michigan had a really good season and a really good tournament, and they lose some studs. They lose a couple hammers, but they do have a lot of guys coming back, including like a guy like a Logan Massa that didn't place but has placed before, and they have guys like Joey Silva, Ben Freeman, Jelani Embry, Mason Paris, all you know guys that haven't wrestled for them yet. Will Luan. feels like – I'm sorry? Will Luan. Oh, Will Luan. Yep. Yeah, Will Luan, yeah, yeah. Um, the, those guys are all guys that are, they feel like they're in more of a reload than a rebuild mode there. So, you know, and, and I, I just had Joe McFarland on Matt Chat this week, and he's a guy, he actually recruited me. I've known him forever, really respect him. And uh, he had some really interesting things to say about this being his last season and who knew it and who didn't and what that was like going through it. So, uh you know, if people haven't heard that, he was really good. And, and I think, you know, he's he is really proud of, of what they've done there. And, and, you know, I told him, you know, it is one of the credits to him is he, you know, left that place better than he found it, for sure. It could be interesting to see how they put all the pieces together in that lineup going forward. I mean, Mitch's got two more years left. left. Uh, Joey Silva coming in, as you mentioned, store three more years of, of eligibility. Ben Freeman. Uh, there's going to be some guys that uh, don't quite make the cut for the starting lineup just because of the log jam that they have there. Lawan as well, forty, you know, probably 49, 57, I would guess 57 moving forward. But uh, makings of a really strong lineup top to bottom, and uh, we'll see who uh, Sean Bormet and company add to that lineup. Uh, they're they're in on some, some top flight guys. Uh, as well, I mean, they've made the final five for uh, Kurt McHenry, and uh, I'm sure they'll be in the, the mix for for others as well here this year. Um, 
but a uh, tremendous recruiting class a year ago to land uh, Lawan and, and Silva and Mason Paris, three of probably about the top 15 prospects in the country uh, consensus. So uh, uh, good starting point for Sean Bormet as a head coach, walking into a really good situation coming off a tr- you know trophy team with a strong nucleus coming back and uh, – some firepower on the way doesn't get a whole lot better than that yeah. when you're stepping into a, a job for the first time. Yeah, when you can roll out Matten, Misik, Store, Malakamine, um, you know, then Logan Massa, Pantaleo, um, Pantaleo. Sorry, yeah, I was drawing a blank. Pantaleo, thank you. You know, Logan Massa, and then. Miles Amin, and then potentially a Jelani Embry, and then I don't know what they'll do at 97, but a, you know a Mason Paris. I mean, that's awfully dang good, you know. So I mean, that's yeah. They, they may not finish fourth, but they, they're not going to finish out of the top ten either, for sure. Yeah, I imagine uh, Jackson Strigo will be their guy at 197, 20 and 21 and six. His red shirt year, uh, uh, guy that posted some. Uh, quality wins in in the lineup uh a year ago and then this past year knocked out of the lineup by uh kevin beasley but uh actually won a wrestle off against beasley so uh there's some upside there as well so it's not like a uh colossal hole in their lineup but uh you know we had a chance to kyle klingman and i had joe mcfarland on um our on the map program podcast and uh you know, here about a month ago, and we, you know, I asked him about uh, the possibility of any of those young guys uh, stepping in the lineup right away, and he said that they were recruited with the plan that they would all redshirt. So, uh, you know, it will be interesting to see if, uh, you know, there's any departure in those plans with Sean Bormet uh, running the show. But uh, nonetheless, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, circumstances change. Yeah, absolutely, sure. absolutely. So. Not a big surprise that uh, Bormat was their guy. I think uh, we all kind of expected that. At least I know uh, I expected it. How about yourself? 100%. I'm friends with Sean. I'm friends with Joe. Uh, I, I think this has been grooming in the making, and I think it would have been a surprise if he hadn't gotten it. And I think he's earned it. You know, I think uh, that program has done, done better since he arrived, and I think – that, you know, and I think, you know, he, he learned at the, the, the foot of Joe. And, you know, I mean, there's a big difference between being an assistant coach and a head coach. You know, the assistant coach is usually the good cop. You know, so there's a lot of things that go on there. But, uh, I, I you know, Sean's ready. Those kids, you know, respect him. And, you know, Joe said he's not going to go far from the program, that he'll be around. He wants to support the program like any alumni, but he also wants to get out of those guys' way. And, you know, let them do their thing. So it feels like, you know, it's a good mix for, for everybody involved there. Josh Torella, Kellen Russell on staff as well under Joe McFarland. There's been such a strong connection uh, between, you know, Joe McFarland and guys that wrestled underneath him, uh, maintaining his staff, having a strong, strong Michigan uh, fabric there. So uh, I suspect we'll see uh, – probably more of the same moving forward, but uh, Sean's going to have to uh, fill out his staff as well. The uh, Maybe a little bit of a surprise, uh, Chris Bono to Wisconsin. I think 
you know, as, as that uh, job opened and we started looking at, at uh, possible candidates, uh, he was a logical one. Uh, but, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, like there was a ready-made successor, you know, in-house that seemed like a slam dunk like it did in, in Michigan with uh, Sean. Uh, but uh, your thoughts on, on Chris Bono to Wisconsin, David? Well, I guess to begin with, it's Bono and Reader. Yep. They're blowing together, so that's, you know, awfully interesting. Uh, I mean, I like Chris and John a lot. John's been on the show. I actually ran into those guys on Wednesday morning. We went to the same barber to get our hairs cut at, at Cleveland. They, You know, it was funny. Like, we were the ones in there early before it actually opened and made appointments. Um, they've done great things at South Dakota State. It is different when you go – it's almost like Mark Cody, what he did at American was so unexpected that, you know, people loved it that way. And then you go to Oklahoma, which is much more traditional. And if you don't do as well, if not better, the expectation level is very different. So it's also interesting that really on paper, South Dakota state might be better than Wisconsin next year. And South Dakota state's recruiting class for fall of 18 is definitely better. And, I think guys, coaches should go wherever they want to go and, and, you know, try to chase their jobs. It also leads into a conversation that I've spoken to you about that I'd like to have where we talk about transfer rules because I feel like kids are the – and it's not just in wrestling. You see it in all sports. You see it a lot in basketball where kids are the ones that get kind of left behind. And anybody who's ever been recruited, even on a minor level, knows – you don't get recruited by the school. You know, like I was a business major, but I wasn't, and I was a good student, but it wasn't like the, the, the Iowa State business department professor called me and said, we really want you to come. You know, the, the coaches did. And so when the, if the coaches were to leave, you know, I, I understand that people say, well, wait till you see who the no, new coach is, and that's fine. But it, it is very interesting that kids who signed with South Dakota State or any school, doesn't matter. But any, you know, any school, like you can go back to David Taylor, who signed at Iowa State but hadn't started there yet, actually had more freedom, more options than kids that were already there. And you know, I, I would, you know, I would use you as a hypothetical example. If you were a journalism major and you went to you went to Northwestern as an example, which is you know, or Mizzou, preeminent journalism schools in the country. And the number one professor or the top three professors, they're all left. You could leave and you wouldn't, if you had good grades, you could probably get the same scholarship at another school and you wouldn't lose. It wouldn't be like, well, you now have to take five years to graduate. You know, you're not punished for that. And I, I, I would, I think they need to fix that. And I think you said there might be a proposal in the works for something like that. Well, yeah. Uh, about three weeks ago, um, a couple of my uh, good friends in the newspaper business, Mark Morehouse of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and Mark Emmert, who uh, worked with me at the Morning Register. That's Mark Emmert, not the NCAA president, Mark Emmert. Uh, Mark Emmert of the Des Moines Register. There's a lot of confusion on Twitter. It's priceless anytime something happens with uh, the NCAA that people get all worked up about to look at uh, Mark Emmert from the Register, his timeline on Twitter, because it gets absolutely blown up from people you know shooting venom his way but uh those two guys had a chance to visit with uh iowa athletic director gary barda here about uh three weeks ago and uh barda is part of the group that's uh 
working on the topic of transfers and, uh, you know, in, in the stories that Mark and Mark and Mark, the Mark and Mark show, uh, the stories that they wrote, uh, quotes from Gary Barta, um, you know, there's movement towards the potential uh, right now, kind of looking at the possibility of if you have a GPA uh, over 3.0 and a healthy amount of credit hours completed towards a degree uh, that, uh, you know, that they may come to uh, an agreement at, at the NCAA that, that would allow uh, student athletes that are in in that situation, if if uh, they have a 3.0, they're you know good academic standing, they're on course to graduate on time, um, that uh, you could transfer penalty free, and you know they're they're really looking at some of this uh, transfer reform, where uh, the possibility of um, you know like uh, having to ask for permission, having to get releases to certain schools that. Uh, Something like that would go out the window that, uh, uh, you know, one of the things uh, Barta said uh, in, in Mark Morehouse's story was uh, he said that uh, it's being approached at the moment where a student athlete tells a school that they're transferring their name, um, could potentially go into a database where other schools could get their name and then start legally recruiting to uh, uh, kind of deal with the possibility of tampering there. And uh, so... Um, yeah, I think I think uh, the possibility of getting rid of the sit out of season rule would would go out the window if uh, again, once again, if if a student athlete is in good academic standing and working towards a degree and on course, I should say to uh, you know complete their graduate uh, graduate requirements. So uh, yeah, that'd be good to academic see academic progression, right? Yeah, but, you know, you look at the guys that made an impact this year, like Nick Suriano transferred without losing a year, Misa. Uh, transfer without losing a year. Meredith, transfer without losing a year. And two of those guys changed the face of their programs. You know, and Stevan Misich probably would have at a lot of other schools. He just went to a really good school that was already really good. I mean, I understand the argument against it. I think the two arguments against letting these guys just transfer are the rich get richer. Like, let's say I'm a really good guy at judging talent, so I get you to go to Miracatani State University, and then I get you to like fifth or sixth on the podium. Now all the big guys are on you, and I'm not going to name them because this is a hypothetical situation. But take this the top ten schools, and now they're on them if they need them. And now you know you almost become like a minor leagues for those high level programs, you know. But you've got to do a good job of keeping those kids happy. You know, like I don't think a Bryce Meredith would have left even if he could have. He was happy there. You know, it seems like Suriano is really happy at Rutgers, et cetera. You know, and I also think there's like there's a lot of there's always a lot of illegal recruiting going on. I mean, like I know people were talking to Kassar and people like that and just people were situations or, you know, even like you said in Michigan maybe there's gonna be an odd guy out or Oklahoma State there's gonna be an odd guy out. And these other schools are, you know, contacting them, you know, directly or indirectly. So, but I think overall, you kind of got to do what's right for the kids. Not kind of, you have to do what's right for the kids. And it's, it's, there's no easy answer, but I think you got to really make an effort because, you know, at the end of the day, there's student athletes and you're supposed to, you know, they have a, a finite shelf life they got five years to get four in you still you know you can coach forever if you're good i mean it's like playing golf on the senior tour you know what i mean so 
I, I hope they, there's some reform because I think it'd be what's best for the kids. What conference would Miracatani State University be in? It would be it would be high academic, low vertical leap, <laughs> whatever that would be. So yeah, we'd be good at math. We'd be bad at directions. So I mean, I can sort of give you the parameters. Not, not a know. tech school, probably, right? No, no, we'd be business. <laughs> we'd be business oriented. Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know. Somewhere in the Midwest, maybe we could, you know, become a Big 12 affiliate member. There you, you go. So, there you go. Uh, we kind of skipped over. Who do you think ends up at South Dakota State? Uh, that's a good question. That's going to be a really, really fun situation to follow. I think, you know, look at some of the uh, uh, coaches at uh, maybe what, what are quote-unquote mid-major programs or – you know the the programs that are less than fully funded in the Division One ranks that uh, coaches are doing a good job. I think you, you got to look at those. I think you got to look at some of the uh, uh, top flight programs and assistant coaches at those schools. Um, you wonder about uh, maybe some D two, D three, NAIA coaches who are having a a lot of success and may want to make the leap to D one. I think uh, one one thing about it. Chris Bono has made that job a really, really appealing job, I think, now. I mean, you, you hear that uh, Bono and Reader talked about the administrative support that they were getting at South Dakota State, and, and the community support was uh, that was palpable with the, the crowds that they were getting. And, and you know, we, we've talked about this on the show before. Uh, that wasn't just happening. That was Chris and John and company basically getting out in the community and – going to restaurants, going to cafes, sitting down and having roundtable discussions with fans and really, in, you know, ingraining themselves in, in the community. So uh, there's absolutely no question they've left that place a much, much better place than, than when, they, uh, when they arrived. I know uh, I was reading a stat the other day that they won seven dual meets in the three seasons combined prior to Chris Bono's arrival. They won 14 each of the last three. So uh, tremendous improvement uh, made during Chris Bono's six years in Brookings. So how about you, David? You got got any names in mind that you think uh, people that you think might be interested or or put yourself in the the shoes of South Dakota State's athletic director and administration there? Who Who are some of the guys that you might be going after? Well, I mean, I think obviously you're, you know, your top flight assistant coaches, the guys that you hear apply for other jobs. It's interesting. The guys that I talk to, and, you know, usually it's off the record, they all say to me, they go, you don't apply, they come to you. And I think as I get older in life, I realize that more and more, that, like, it's who you've networked with and who knows you. Um, a friend of mine is is probably on that committee, so um, he's very prominent out there. So, I mean, I would think, like, you know, the top assistant coaches, you know, like, you know, like maybe Damian Hahn, you know, maybe Donnie Pritzloff, maybe, you know, maybe Casey Cunningham, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't even know if, like, you know, there's people out there that, you know, I mean, like you said, um, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, like a Tony Ramos, you know, maybe even like a, you know, a Troy Nickerson who's out there, you know, those guys. I mean, I would think somebody with Minnesota ties 
um, would make sense. Uh, South Dakota State's in a very good situation to recruit. Um, if you look up their tuition costs, it's very low, and the additional cost for out-of-state is significantly less than most other schools. Most other schools have about a 16000 add-on, and theirs is like four or five. So it makes their 9.9 .9 go a lot further. Now, the downside is there ain't nothing to do in that town. I've been there, and there's nothing to do. But financially, they can compete They can compete in terms of scholarships. Their 9.9 .9 goes a lot further. And obviously, if South Dakota State or South Dakota um, uh, high school wrestling gets better, then that gets better and better. So uh, my friend actually just texted me with some names, but I'm going to – I'm going to do the journalistic thing and validate some of these before I talk about them probably next week. But there are some interesting names on here for sure. So um, I, the thing that I think we all agree with is that that job, exactly the way you said it, is is really, really um, interesting. And it's really, really a good job. And you know, it's a lot easier to keep something going than it is to start it from nothing. And... Chris and John and, you know, AJ shop and Cody Caldwell and all the people involved in that all have a big hand in it, you know? So it's, it's cool. Those are kind of guys that are growing wrestling and then that's awesome for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it will be a fun process as I mentioned, fun process to follow here over the course of, you know, the next few weeks, I imagine that they're going to move quickly on this, so uh, that will be one to watch. Cleveland State, you mentioned it as well. Can uh, somebody go into Cleveland State and do what Chris Bono did at South Dakota State? I mean, you, you look at uh, the things that uh, are in place in Cleveland State, um, certainly so much talent right around there. Look at all the, all the alums from high schools around there that had high-level success at the NCAA championships and uh, – it's a talent-rich area of, of the country and, and certainly a, a area of the country where wrestling is important. So keep an eye out on that one as well. It's got to be like one of the top five areas in the country, right? Like, you know, top ten at worst, right? Like if you could get the local guys, you should be really good. I mean, I went there this summer, and the facilities there are subpar to be kind. You know, so they're going to have to make a commitment to that. But, you know, I, like when I was coaching junior college, the better Missouri did, the better it was for us because more and more only the top flight kids Missouri would talk to, and they were getting more and more out-of-state kids. So Ohio State being really good is actually good for Cleveland State. It's not bad because Cleveland State's not going to get the best kid out of Ohio anyway. Like they were not in the hunt for David Carr. But – the more top guys that go to Cleveland State, or I mean, go to Ohio State rather, it gives Cleveland State a shot at those like B plus recruits. And then you got to be able to coach and you got to be able to develop. But I think most kids, all else being equal, I mean, and it's a blanket statement, but most kids would rather stay home and wrestle in front of their mom and their dad and their girlfriend. I mean, they go if they think they can't win close, but if they, you know, I've seen that in Missouri where more and more kids stay home because they're like, well, why would I leave? 
you know, I can, we can win here. And, you know, my mom, you know, I'm in St. Louis. My mom and dad are two hours away or the Kansas city people. My mom and dad are two hours away. So, you know, that's what Cleveland state would have to build. And it wouldn't be very difficult. I think for them to be a top 25 school, you just got to get one or two guys and develop the hell out of them and score 20 points. You need two six place guys. I'm not saying that's easy, but there's, there's a large gathering of talent within like a 15 mile radius of that campus. I can tell you that. Yeah. Yep. Well, David, uh, one of the most incredible stories to me out of the NCAA championships, not just that he won an NCAA title as a true freshman, you know, there's only been about uh, what, 19 of those in the history of 88 year history of the tournament. Uh, granted there are, Hasn't been a lot of years. A lot of years in there where true freshmen weren't even eligible to compete in the NCAA championships. But uh, less than twenty true freshman NCAA champs. I don't know that any of them, besides Yanni Diakamahalis, have ever done it with a torn ACL. Unbelievable that uh, he tears his ACL in the first minute of the quarterfinal match against Dean Heil. And what's what's staggering about it? You know, I, I had a chance to visit with Rob Cole. Uh, on Friday uh, about this and uh, I asked him when did it occur and he told me in that first scramble of the match against Heil so I go back and watch it and they get into the scramble and Yanni kind of rubber knees uh, trying to fight it off and you know he he scores he, he gets some offense out of that position and and it just kind of slipped off and um, got his knee wrenched in that situation. He gets up and walks back to the center and he kind of shakes his knee and he looks over to the corner and um, there was a little dialogue apparently back and forth, not much said between him and the guys in the corner. Uh, but uh, he shakes his knee, kind of shakes his head. And apparently somebody asked if he wanted injury time and he kind of shook it off. So he, he tears his ACL, doesn't even take an injury time. Goes out, comes from behind to beat Dean Heil with the takedown, 27 seconds to go in the ride out. Uh, then comes back, beats Jaden Ironman in overtime. And then he beats Bryce Meredith with a come from behind four-point move off the cradle in the closing seconds in the 141-pound NCAA title bout. I tweeted this out on Friday, David. It uh, To beat those three guys and win a title as a true freshman is incredible, but what Yanni did was was legendary yeah it's you i read the article like people you know people should probably know you and me talk a couple times a week but you know a lot of times it's just me reading what you put up there and you know if i know anything that i've heard you know i try to tell you but when i read that article i was like wow and and the article is so well done people need to read it because you know you paint the picture so well but i mean just I mean, he had so many reasons to quit, right? Like so many reasons to to just say, well, you know, look, life's not fair. And yeah, you know, I'm a freshman. I can, you know, I got another chance or blah, blah, blah. And not only did he do it, he didn't even want to talk about it. Like, you know, he didn't go public with it. You know, Cole did, which is, you know, it's fine. It's his coach, whatever. But I mean, like, it's just awfully dang impressive. I mean, that, that's probably the understatement of the week it's, it's it's incredible like you said it's legendary so it's also a really good thing to point out to people to feel sorry for themselves like hey this 18 year old kid is 
a freaking hammer and he's mentally stronger than he is physically gifted. And when you got guys like that, like that's what I took away when I got a chance to interview Jordan Burroughs, which will come up here in a couple of weeks. He's mentally stronger than he is physically gifted. And I, when you meet guys like that, they're, those people are special that have high talent levels to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Jordan's done some incredible things in his own right. I mean, to me, winning the world title 28 days after breaking your ankle is that's, you know, when I think of Jordan Burroughs, that's one of, that's the first thing I think of. I mean, not, uh, yeah. not just five world titles, five world and Olympic titles and, you know, going for his sixth this year, but, uh, the fact that he won one of those with, you know, four weeks after breaking his ankle is, you know, it's mind boggling to me, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Rob Cole though, uh, you know, he put it well when, uh, I asked him about that, uh, you know, Yanni's injury and he said, uh, you know, this is what he's done for the last 15 years of training. And, and he said, uh, uh, he said, uh, you know, he goes, I know personally I've been hurt on two occasions. I came back and took third. He goes, it hurt at the time, and I wanted to quit, and I had an excuse. But at the end of the day, a year later, no one gives a damn about your excuses. They only care about your results. And uh, Amen. You know, Amen. And, and I think about uh, I, I think about you know some of the conversations I had with Rob Cole throughout the season about Yanni, and, and you know he would tell me about uh, you know he, he'd show up at the wrestling complex, and Yanni's car would be there. He said. Uh, uh, you, you know, he, he, uh, ought to be paying rent basically how much he's, <laughs> he's at their wrestling complex. But, uh, you know, I think when you, when you train that hard and you pay the price, um, you're not going to let anything stand in your way. And, you know, I certainly, a, a, uh, really mentally tough minded guy and, you know, also exceptional talent. And, and one of the points that Rob Cole made to me, uh, in the story, uh, he said, uh, um, you know, basically, I don't know if I ran the quote here. Oh yeah, here it is. He said, you know, he's just incredibly tough and he's got such a diverse array of attacks and defenses that he can wrestle around it more so than probably anybody in the country. And that's a pretty good point too. I mean, he's just got such incredible flexibility and, and, uh, various ways that he can score and various ways that, uh, he can defend and, uh, Take some creativity though too to to be able to do that as well without uh, without putting yourself in harm's way. Greater, you know, more harm's way, I should say. So. Yeah, I, I and and I understand what Rob Cole's saying. I understand what you're repeating, I, and I they don't mean it this way, but like that just because he's good at a lot of moves and stuff shouldn't take away from just the absolute blood and guts of that kid. It's just like what Nolf did. Right. I don't think we're ever going to know know what was wrong with Nolf, but all of a sudden. Not all of a sudden, but like Nolf became a super hammer on top, you know. So I mean, it's just, you know, that's you know, that's kind of how I was raised. Like my dad was like, "Look, if you win, shut up. If you lose, shut up. Let other people talk about you, and you get what you earn." And I think people that grew up that way are generally a lot more tough-minded and generally, and it, maybe it sounds bad to say, I'm not putting myself in this category, but generally better human beings, you know, like, because they, they don't expect life to give them anything. 
you know, I, I mean, yeah, Yanni went to the complex before everybody else. So when he hurt his knee, like, you know, he could be like, well, this isn't fair. Or like, hey, find a way. And he found a way. And the, the kids, it's unbelievably impressive. I mean, it just that's just legend. Like, there's not a better word than legendary. There just isn't. You know, and you, you hit the nail on the head. It's awesome. And, you know, you, you watch some of these guys, and you're like, well, if, you don't, if we don't beat them this year, when are we going to beat them? Right? Like, you're not going to beat them on one leg as a true freshman. You know, I'm not saying you can't lose, but the odds are not in your favor, right? So, I mean, I was looking at rankings, and if he moved up to 49, he, he might be a bigger favorite of 49 next year than he would be a 41. I mean, it's, it's frightening. You know, like you, you said this, you and I have talked about it's just how – these kids are better and better, younger and younger. It's it's super impressive. That's for sure. Well, you know who else is legendary? David Zane Rutherford. Now yeah. a two-time yeah. Hodge yeah. Trophy winner. I can't believe we're 36 minutes and change into the show and we're just bringing up the Hodge now. But uh, uh felt like a, uh, you know, it was Zane's title to, or Zane's trophy to lose going into the season, the returning winner kind of like uh back in the day with the heisman where if you won it the year before right. you yeah. had such a head start over everybody going in but uh zane certainly earned it again this year and uh tremendous senior season um bo nickel comes up second in the voting followed by seth gross zahid valencia what more can you say about zane zane he might be the best 142, 149 of all time. I mean, in, in that discussion, I mean, what, 93 or something straight wins, three undefeated seasons, you know, bonus rate out of this world. And the year he, quote, only took fifth, he did beat Logan Steber. So, I mean, just legendary stuff. And he just seems like really just kind of a happy-go-lucky kid, you know, just flips a switch and turns into a beast when it comes time to wrestle. Um, yeah, it was his to win. I'm surprised Zahid was fourth. I mean, Zahid wrestled. His bonus might not be as high as some of those other guys, but he also wrestled every freaking hammer in that weight class, and most of them more than once. So, I mean, and he beat a world champion. So, I mean, I, I kind of feel like he, I don't know if he should have been second or third, but I, I don't know. If, I guess fourth seems wrong to me, especially with how he well he wrestled in the finals. Like, I mean, just to just handle Mark Hall was frighteningly impressive. Yeah, he had a tremendous season. Incredible season. Yeah, it's one of those where, uh, you know, they named four finalists, and it was those three, you know, Rutherford, Nickel, uh, Zahid, and Seth Gross. Um, and Kyle Snyder, not even a finalist, where, uh, you know, it brings you to uh, – you know, you had three three guys. I didn't even think about that. Three guys that were undefeated. Three guys that were undefeated this year, and they finished one, two, and four on the ballot. Seth Gross three as far as first place votes uh, goes. Zane gets thirty five of the forty eight first place votes. Um, won the fan vote as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can make a case for Kyle too. I mean, you know, as a right in, you know, in that top four. I mean. You know, Seth Gross had one loss. Kyle Snyder had one loss. Seth Gross's came up a weight class. Kyle's came against a guy that outweighed him by 65 pounds. Uh, kind of weird that uh, 
you know, a guy that's been the best pound for pound, best wrestler on the planet, uh, doesn't even make the top four, doesn't even make the cut for the Hodge final finalist list. But, uh, you know, it's an award that uh, was geared to uh, promote pinning, and, and there you have it. So those are guys that uh, put people on their backs, put them away that were in the top four. Rutherford finishes his career 126 and three uh, bonus points uh, percentage for this year, 83.9%, um, 17 pins, five techs, four majors. You're right. He's, uh, he's an all timer, no doubt at uh, 149. So, uh, you know, nickel, 31 and 0 right behind him 16 falls uh attack six majors this year gross was 29 and 1 as i mentioned his only loss came up a weight class he had 12 pins seven techs five majors and zahid was uh, zahid was 32 and 0 nine pins seven techs nine majors uh you know pretty hard to sort them out really i mean you get down to the nitty-gritty uh you know, if you're you're going off straight criteria, which is record, and then down to pins and dominance and so on and so forth, uh, strength of schedule I think is in there as well. Citizenship is in there as well. Um, it uh, personally, I wish the ballot went a little bit, but went a little bit beyond four guys just to see how it, it would. Should at least had Kyle Snyder in there. You're absolutely right. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Like, I mean, where would Spencer Lee have been if he hadn't lost, you know, early in the year, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, they, and I think they should have. They gave Gross, uh, you know, he made the finals because his loss was up a weight, and obviously Snyder's wrestling up a weight, but he's not up a weight class. But I mean, if Spencer Lee hadn't lost, I mean, his tournament run was ridiculously dominant for a true freshman. Yeah. So I mean, there's. It feels like the golden age of, of wrestling right now. I mean, I, you know, maybe it's a prisoner of the moment, but it feels like we're seeing some all-time great things. Like, you know, like I think Kyvan Gadsden's going to be the answer to a trivia question, who won the weight class the year that Jaden Cox and Kyle Snyder didn't. I think these four guys that, you know, placed ahead of Snyder and the Hodge, like it'll be tough 20 years now to remember all four of these guys' names. Like, who was who were all voted ahead of the Hodge Trophy ahead of Kyle Snyder his senior year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that those guys won't do some great things, but Snyder could retire tomorrow and be one of the greatest, certainly greatest American wrestlers of all time, and would have to be in this discussion like probably top thirty all-time world wrestlers. So I mean, and the guy's twenty-two years old or something ridiculous yeah. like that. It's crazy. Yep. Well, we're going to be seeing Kyle Snyder down the road here in Iowa City. The weekend after next World Cup, going to be live on track wrestling. Uh, it's going to be uh, some television coverage on NBC uh, as well. So uh, looking forward to that, David. We'll see you in Iowa City. Anything else before we sign off for this week's edition of Weighing In? No, I'm super excited about that. It's, uh, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to get up there. And I'm going to interview uh, Terry Brand on video for Matt chat while I'm there. I just got that worked out with coach yesterday. So I'm, that's, that's exciting for me. Well, who you got on this week? You got anybody lined up yet? Just, just Cody Sanderson. No big deal. Okay. They had a pretty good tournament. So I thought we'd try to get him in. Awesome. Um, yeah. I, yeah, it's going to be fun. And then, then Terry, and then probably we'll put up the one that, uh, 
we had a chance to do with Jordan Burroughs and Mark Manning together right around Christmas time. Uh, it was super interesting to listen to those guys talk about each other and their relationship and like to see one guy's reaction to what the other guy said on camera. It was, it's, it's cool. It's kind of like, it's a very much a uh, big brother fatherly kind of relationship and the, the, the mutual respect those guys have for each other is off the charts. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward. It's been so long. I don't really even remember all the details. I'm really looking forward to, to watching it myself when it comes out. And the good news is I'm behind the camera. So it's just those two guys, which is even better for people watching face for radio, right? Yeah. That's what my father told me. And then I told him I look like him. <laughs> <laughs> that's my only shot back. Uh, <laughs> Got like one bullet in the chamber. That's it. <laughs> Good comeback. Good comeback. Well, David, thank you as always. Thanks for your time and insight. Always my pleasure, man. And thank each and every one of you for giving us time to tune in for weighing in. For David Mirkatani, I'm Andy Hamilton. We will be back next week.